בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים, שבוע טוב, שבוע מבורך, ובעזרת השם סונו בי ראש חודש טוב. Tonight's shiur will be for a ilui nishmat menucha bat akiva, and also for a leavdil for refuah shlema, for rabbanit levana bat tzara, rab Ephraim ben Shulamit, rabbanit tzara bat Anat, avi mori David ben Esriya, imi morati Doris bat Jora, and also for a atzlacha rabba for Marsha bat Julie, Ayla bat Marsha, Sami ben Marsha, Sefas ben Marsha, Alexander ben Marsha. Louis ben Marsha and all of Am Israel, all of the righteous Noahides, and all the people that continue to watch our shurim, continue to get closer to Akadosh Baruch Hu, uh, and uh, continue to uh, exert as much effort as possible uh, to uh, to serve Akadosh Baruch Hu. And as we'll see for Ezat Hashem today, that uh, there's a lot more work that needs to be done on our own introspection than we could possibly imagine. Uh, because while it's uh, it may be easy to see the flaws in others uh, it's easy to see what everybody else needs to fix it becomes much more difficult to see what we ourselves need to fix so Baruch Hashem last week we had the event and uh, some people from uh, Detroit showed up in New York and uh, Texas and some other places of course Florida and uh, although we always wish that there was uh, a lot more people and a lot more uh, 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 significance to each and every single shiur, to each and every single uh, uh, event that we do, each one has a specific ashgacha pratit from HaKadosh Baruch Hu of who's going to show up and what questions they're going to ask and how it's shayach to the rest of Klal Yisrael. And of course, one of the questions that uh, was asked is the old questions that I've dealt with and have uh, sacrificed my life over for the last several years about the whole issue of the wig and how uh, the machloket between the Sfaradim and Ashkenazim that's a few hundred years old uh, regarding the modesty of the wig is not really relevant to the argument of today because neither we nor anyone else that I know that still alive have the shoulders that are big enough to deal with that machloket, but still we have uh, been very uh, aggressive and uh, very adamant about the fact that it's lo shayach to Am Yisrael to be involved in wigs altogether in this generation. It's not uh, relevant for Am Yisrael, it's not allowed for Am Yisrael to have any connection whatsoever to the wigs uh, today, regardless of whether they are Sephardi or Ashkenazi. And not because of the issues of modesty, which even though they are an issue, uh, still that's not the real argument. The argument is the fact that after extensive research we've done and uh, have sent people to India and have people that live in India still to this day uh, and interviews and all types of research that we've done, there is no possibility to conclude any other way the fact that over the overwhelming majority, and by overwhelming majority I mean well over 90% of the wigs of today are coming from the idolatrous temples of India, which a Jew is not allowed to enjoy in any way, shape, or form. It's a, uh, it's Avodah Zarah, idol worship, is not only forbidden for a Jew, but it's also forbidden for a Jew to enjoy from idol worship. The only mitzvah that a person can do uh, with uh, something that comes from idolatry is to destroy it. The Gemara in Masechet Sukkah says, what if somebody has an etrog? An etrog, 
that uh, that uh, he uh, he got from somebody that uh, was an idol worshiper and used that etrog as like a uh, sacrifice for his uh, for his uh, for his fake god. But you know, since that fake god has a mouth but doesn't eat, has ears and doesn't hear, has eyes but can't see, he can't eat the etrog. So the guy kept the etrog. So the Gemara says, so now he has this idol worshiper has this etrog. And he wants to sell it to you, and you, uh, you know, or even wants to give it to you for free. Doesn't make a difference. Can you use that etrog for Sukkot? Gemara says, no, absolutely not. Why can't you use that etrog? Because that etrog, in the eyes of Akadosh Baruch Hu, is doesn't exist. Because the only thing that you can do with that etrog is destroy it. And the mitzvah of an etrog is only if you actually own the etrog, and you cannot own something that doesn't exist. So we see from there that in many, many other sources that when it comes to idolatry, there is no permission whatsoever to enjoy, to benefit from it whatsoever. But today we're not really going to deal with that question. The question, the bigger question that uh, we have to ask ourselves, that people always ask, if it's so obvious that the wig is forbidden, it's coming from idolatry, how is it that all of the rabbis out there in the world that are in different keilot in New York and in New Jersey and in Israel and in all the different places, how come they're not screaming foul? Well, the truth is that there are some that are screaming about it and saying that women are not supposed to wear wigs and are not allowed to wear wigs, but unfortunately, Eloah Kesef Eloah Zav, the god of money, the god of gold, of you know, the idolatry is very strong in the world, and unfortunately people are falling for it. And I don't mean just the crowd, I mean even people that are, in essence, rabbis. How could it be? Perhaps the answer to that has to do with the other big issue that we've brought to light over the last several years and have sacrificed our lives over is the whole issue of the illegality uh, of the cash advance business, the merchant cash advance business, a corrupt, horrific business that is a predatory business, that preys on its own customers, so much so that we have a history uh, that is documented in Bezat Hashem when the tshuva uh, comes out that uh, is actually already ready now, Baruch Hashem, B'Siyat Dishmaya, Rav Ephraim already completed it, the tshuva that's going to come out, the uh, responsa, uh, that shows according to all opinions there is no permission whatsoever to be involved in cash advance. But yet, whenever I mention the issues of cash advance being not allowed, surely there are some people that say, no, but my rabbi said it is allowed. And if you just befriend and talk and consult a, a, a Talmit Chacham, a Dayan, surely you can stay in this business. Uh, you can make a living, an honest living. Honest living, destroying people's lives by charging them 40%, 80%, 100%, 400% interest rates. That's an honest living. So, of course, people are going to lie to themselves that this is an honest living, but the truth be told, every single person that Baruch Hashem, we had the Siyat Dishmaya to really talk truth to, that we were able to succeed in getting them out of that business, told me at some point or another, they always knew that the business was corrupt, but the money was too good in order to see straight. So now, that answers the question of why the people that are in the cash advance business are having a hard time accepting the truth that it's a corrupt business, even though they don't need to see my shiurim to know that it is a corrupt business. Everybody knows it. Even if you've never seen my shiurim, even if you've never seen 
anything that I've ever said, you're in that business by default. It's only a matter of time before you know that it's a corrupt business that preys on its own customers. But you have a hard time leaving because of the money. So that answers the question of why they have a hard time. The question is, why do the rabbis that are saying you're allowed to be in this business for all the people that are in essence asking for rabbinical opinion how come they're uh, they're uh, allowing such a thing well there are all types of arguments we can uh, assume we were never going to know until we know for sure when people actually tell us but the one thing i can tell you for sure that shayach to all of us not just them but also us is the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, "An Adam A person does not see the deficiency in himself. Many times, a person is involved in a certain particular situation or has a certain particular character trait, a certain particular issue that's relevant to him, and he can see that flaw in everybody else except in himself. And many times, when it comes to Din Torah, it comes to the laws of the Torah itself, a person could easily see that someone else is desecrating the Torah, is going against the Torah, is violating the Torah, whichever way you want to put it, it's going against the Torah, while he himself is violating it, but he doesn't realize it. Why? Because it's easy to see it in everybody else. Now, of course, the Gemara in Masechet uh, Baba Metziah brings the whole issue of lending money lending money with interest of course it's the torah tells us that we're not a jew is not allowed to lend money to another jew with interest so much so that if a jew lends another jew money with interest everybody that's involved has no share of the world to come and everyone knows that watches my lecture no share of the world to come doesn't mean that everything goes blank like a tv in the 1980s as soon as the programming was finished you just have these little uh, white dots on the screen. You know, today, Baruch Hashem, the, uh, the Satan is, a, uh, is, is much stronger, so he allows the, uh, uh, the TV to continue even further than 24 hours a day. But that's also good for us because that allows us to have also the uh, Torah uh, 24 hours a day, Baruch Hashem. So the key is to know that the, the Yetzirah works over time. Yetzirah works over time. And the Torah tells us that every single person that's involved in this lending has no share of the world to come. And what no world of the co- uh, no share in the world to come means is this person goes to Gainom and doesn't end. And if it's not Gainom, it's Kafakela because he has to have a certain amount of merits to be in Gainom. And of course, for those of you that uh, you know, listen to the people that say, oh, but it's limited, it's only one year, there's no forever, then you have to explain Korach. Korach, Parashat Korach, we're coming up on it soon. If you look at the Midrash and Parashat Korach, you look at the Gemara, Parashat Korach, you look at anyone that talks about Parashat Korach, you see that Korach is still in Genom until this year. And apparently a little more than a year has passed since Korach has entered Genom with all of his followers. Needless to say, the Arizal says specifically that there is a uh, no end to the specific sentences, especially since the uh, the time in Kafakela also has no limitation, where a person can go there for five years, for ten years, for a thousand years, and this is actually the language of the Arizal. Needless to say, the 
people that are involved in lending money from Jew to Jew have a very serious problem and it's not just the lender and it's not just the borrower it's also the guy the secretary that's uh, providing the paperwork it's the guy that's collecting the money and so on and so forth all of those people are in very very serious trouble but that's obvious if you ask anybody that's religious doesn't even need to be a rabbi you ask him am I allowed to lend another Jew money and charge him interest they're all going to tell you no but if you ask people am I allowed to charge a non-Jew interest you're going to have some mixed opinions and in fact most of the time you're going to see an opinion depending on how close these people are to the cash advance business reason why because this is where the Yetzirah is much stronger so the Gemara specifically says that there are there, the Chachamim have an argument, a whole debate about whether you're allowed to charge the non-Jews interest or not, whether you're allowed, you're not allowed. Shlomo HaMelech already saw that there's problems with this in his day. He made a Takana that not allowed to charge interest anybody, not Jews and not non-Jews, because he saw how much of a desecration of God's name this whole business is and how corrupt the business is altogether already 3,000 plus years ago now Rabotai Karim Chachamim go back and forth and what do they end up with you're going to end up with a couple of a couple of opinions a couple of opinions one opinion that Rav Chia, the son of Rav Huna says that uh he's referring to a uh uh, uh, uh bottom line conclusion which is if the person is only gonna lend money just enough to make a living make a living in the in the uh in the language of the Torah means just enough to literally live not to live in a you know 18 bedroom mansion drive a uh two hundred fifty thousand dollar car and have fifty thousand dollars on your left wrist no 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 just to make a living meaning as soon as you make a deal just to make enough money to pay rent or mortgage or whatever it is to eat for that month you're finished you're not allowed to work anymore that's one condition that it's allowed to lend money to a, to a non-jew and charge him interest second condition that you actually even allowed to become rich off of it is if you're a Talmud Chacham meaning there's no limitation since you're a Talmud Chacham you have limited amount of time that you're working because most of the time you are learning Torah and that Torah also protects you from being influenced by these non-Jews that uh, are going to constantly come to you asking you for money and, and to lend you money which we're not going to get into and who and what and where point being is if you're Talmud Chacham then you're allowed to charge interest with no problem no problem now Rabotai Karim, the Chachamim also say something else they also say something else that even if he chooses to lend money to a gentile interest and to a jew interest free the jew takes precedence there's another opinion it says technically you're allowed to lend money to the uh, to the non-jew but make sure you always lend to the jew first so as long as you lend to the jews first then you can lend to the non-Jew. So now, this is now not by, uh, uh, by the same Rav. This is by Rav Nachman. This is by Rav Nachman. This is the other opinion. The same Gemara, Masechabah, Metziah, page 71a. So now, they're going to tell you, see, we have a proof. Rav Nachman said that tech, he didn't give any boundaries. He didn't say that you're allowed to only charge this and only do this. and all. No, he just said, as long as you give to the Jews too, without charging them any interest, you can lend to the non-Jews as much as you want. You're right. That's what Rav Nachman says. 
But why, why do we have a problem with it? Because that's not what was paskent halacha. What was paskent halacha, what the Rambam paskent halacha, what the Shulchan Aruch paskent halacha, what all of the Chachamim that have uh, uh, went through this extensively, what did they paskent halacha? What we said first, which is either the person has to only uh, do it necessary for his livelihood, just enough to make a living, or if a person is a Talmud Chacham, just like Rav Chia, the son of Rav Huna said, point being is that unless a person is a Talmit Chacham, or unless a person literally makes one deal a month, he's not going to be able to survive being in that, uh, uh, permissible to be in that, in that cash advance business. So the question is, since this is so obvious, or it should be so obvious, how come it's so hard for people that are even Dayanim, even people that are smart, people that are involved in this. I'm not talking about the people that have never heard of this. I'm not talking about the people that have no idea that this is even happening under their nose. I'm talking about people that are actually consulting and counseling the people that are in the cash advance business from the Ashkenazi community, from the Sephardi community, the Hasidic community, all the different communities. How come, how come nobody is like screaming foul over this? Perhaps at the very least we could all say, En adam roi chova be'atzmo. A person does not see the obligation in himself. Now, you would think this only has to do with them, but the truth be told, this has nothing to do with them. This has to do with all of us because we all have the same exact problem. How do we have the same exact problem? Well, let's see where the Chazonish is going to take us today and identify the very same exact problem in us because it's easy for us to talk about the problems of everybody else. They're wearing wigs, they're charging interest, they're doing things that are going to cause Chilul Hashem, lose Olam Abba. Very easy to do that over and over again. But let's just see if we could do some introspection and perhaps arrive at a similar, similar conclusion with ourselves that we, we too have some work to do Be'ezrat Hashem. The Chazonish in chapter 4 of the Sefer Emunah Bitachon, in the study of morals, Torah Amidot, in section 2, says, after he told us that in reality, while everyone looks at the different character traits as being separate, your anger, your stinginess, uh, the, the, the arrogance, the, uh, all of the uh, different, uh, uh, different types of flaws that a person has, or all the different good things that a person has, Perhaps people look at it as separate. He says, yes, technically they are all separate in order to identify different flaws or pluses and minuses in a person to identify the level of spiritual sickness. But as far as the cure is concerned, a person must know that in reality there is only one cure and as, uh, uh, to everything. One cure. What is it? A decision that each and every one of us needs to make. Are you going to acquire the best midah that exists or are you going to acquire the worst midah that exists are you going to acquire the best character trait that's what a midah is are you going to acquire the best character trait that exists or are you going to acquire the worst character trait that exists that is going to determine where the rest of your life eternally is going to go why because the chazonis explains simply put if a person has anger, stinginess, arrogance, uh, whatever it is, uh, uh, lack of cleanliness, all types of different things, that's all fine and dandy. Each one of us has a few different flaws. The, the, uh, the reality is the reality. Every one of us is born with a few little scratches here and there. But that doesn't have to stay that way. 
Staying that way actually requires a person making a decision. And that decision is to simply leave everything as is. If he says, listen, I was born angry and therefore I'll stay angry. I was born jealous and therefore I'll stay jealous. I don't even see myself as jealous. It's just me. I'm just being real. I'm just being honest and all types of things like that. I have an evil eye. You call it an evil eye. I call it a a being realistic and honest and brutally honest with them even. I'm trying to do them a favor. That's the way he looks at it. Chazoni says that person will eventually turn into the worst person, most corrupt person on planet Earth. Why? A simple decision on one of his character traits that he's just simply going to leave it alone. He's not going to work on it. He's not going to fix it. He has no interest in fixing it. No desire to fix it. In fact, many times you ask him about it and he says, I don't even need to fix it. He says because he decides to simply let things be on this, he'll also let things be on everything else and little by little everything else will become worse and worse. Hence the reason why the Gemara says that the, 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 the uh, uh, ignoramuses of the, uh, of the world, they deteriorate as they age. Whereas Talmidei Chachamim, they become sharper over time. They become better over time. Why? Because the Talmid Chacham, the scholar, continues to work on himself. Whereas the ignoramus doesn't work on himself, already has decided that he's not going to work on himself, and therefore his character traits continue to deteriorate. He could have been 30, 31, 32, and just a little bit racist. He didn't like people that had a different shade of skin than him. He didn't like certain people that came from a different part of the world. He didn't like people that spoke a different language that he didn't speak. He didn't like it, but he was only 30, 31 years old. And he decided, I'm good with this. I'm okay with this. Well, as you would know it, anyone that knows old men that have been around the block, that are part of all of these, uh, th- this world that we live in, they enjoy themselves by joining all of these Freemasons and Bilderbergs and Skull and Bones and all of these different organizations that a Jew is forbidden from being involved in. But nonetheless, you, you meet any of those old men and you're going to find out one thing. Not only who, only who he is, but who he was 50 years ago, 30 years ago. He was just a lesser, worse version than he is today. Today is the worst he's ever been. If he was racist 50 years ago, today is much more racist. Today is much more horrible. Why? Because it continues to deteriorate. Same exact thing with people that are adulterers. Same thing that are people that are uh, you know, thieves. Same thing that people that simply accept themselves as they are and they don't want to develop it. You see them becoming worse as they age. Hence the reason why it's very difficult to deal with older people because typically if they're allowed to be uh, free with their speech, with their opinions and so on, they're extremely opinionated about the worst possible things. Worst possible things and very difficult to deal with. So nonetheless, this is a person that made a decision. Not today. 50 years ago he made a decision. On the other hand, the Chazoni says, you know what, Talmit Chacham, the Torah scholar, he got better over time. Look, when he was 30 years old, when he was 25 years old, he decided that he wants to do as much as possible to help Am Yisrael put on tefillin, go to synagogue, say Shema Yisrael, do, do tshuva. Oh, by the time he's 45, you already see this guy spending half of his day on it. 
by the time he's 60 years old, he's already passed half of his life. You see this guy crying over Jews. He's crying over them on a regular basis. You ask him, why are you crying? He says, I'm crying over, over the Jewish people. Which ones? All of them. What, the Holocaust? No, today. Why? He said, I saw a, few, a bus full of kids go to school, but it was public school, so I'm crying about it. When did you see it? Just now? No, I saw it five hours ago, at 8 o'clock in the morning. But he's still crying about it now. Why? Because that's a Jew that made a decision that the Jewish people, the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's everything to him. And that develops over time. And more and more, point is that a person has to make a decision. Are you going to acquire the best character trait or the worst character trait? That's a simply a decision a person has to make. And many times you see how people deteriorate or improve over time. And that's the beautiful thing. So now, with that being said, the Chazonish goes into chapter 2 and he says the following. Indeed, if we sometimes find individuals whose various character traits are not on equal footing, as we have seen that a person might not be led astray or crazed by his desire for delicious food, but will be crazed by in his in his influence by love of honor and so on so first and foremost what is the chazonish really saying here because the translation is a little choppy Baruch Hashem. chazonish is saying the following he's saying there are people lots of people eight billion people only a few of those people are jewish people something around 20 million that we know of give or take and sure sure enough many others that we don't know of but nonetheless all of those people have character traits they have good character traits bad character traits everybody has traits so now you look at anybody that you want to look at jew gentile doesn't make a difference young old male female you're going to look at people and you're going to see that each one of them has various traits various character traits and in reality those traits are not all the same meaning the strength of that trait on that person so if let's say for example this person has a character trait where he craves things he craves uh, uh women he craves food he, he has a lust for things he has a craving he just once he gets to this craving it affects him it affects him on the other hand he has a crave he has a uh issue with anger is an issue with anger now you see when it comes to anger he gets angry if you do certain things to him but it takes a while you have to move him around a few times before he really gets angry and sometimes he has the character trait where he doesn't get angry but if it comes to a woman doesn't matter who's walking in front of him he's like a dog starts chasing her can't take it if he doesn't get what is what he feels his body needs he starts losing his mind on the other hand says the chazonish you see the following you see a person that he has a desire for food but he doesn't go crazy over it he eats just like you and me but you even if you show him listen we have first course this course was made by a chef that came all the way from italy that made it in this way and that way and he says okay it looks good but i'm gonna diet I'm not gonna have it wow now he chooses to be on a diet was the chef came all the way from Italy you're not gonna eat this listen it looks delicious I want to eat it but the diet it's important to me okay second course 
Oh, sir, we know that the Italian food, you liked it, but the diet was important. But now we have Greek food. We have a second chef, came from Greece. All of him, Greece, just landed this morning, but he was ready. He had all the ingredients prepared ahead of time. We have this dish, and it has this, and it has that, and it has this, this, and that. What do you think? He says, it looks absolutely delicious, and in fact, it has my favorite food in it. But I'm not going to have any. Why? I'm on a diet. Remember, I'm on a diet. Wow. Third dish. Sir, listen, we know the food from Italy. It's good, but not enough. Greece, good, not enough. We have from Tripoli. Yo, Tripoli. It's good. They have delicious food. Everything's red, like the Moroccans. No, what do you think? It has this. It has that. Oh, ah, that looks good. You know what? I'll take a bite. But just a bite, and then I'm back to the diet. So you barely got him. Like, he has the desire for food. He's not like uh, somebody that's fasting the whole week. But he barely, barely controls himself. Eventually, when you give him the fifth uh, dish, he eats. But he still gave up on four different meals before he got to the fifth. Meaning that this desire that he has for food is under strict control. And it seems like this person, he is strong. Strong. But then there says the Chazonish, when it comes to honor, he goes crazy. It could be any other character trait, but this is the example the Chazonish gave. He's not led astray and goes crazy over his desire for delicious food. But he does go crazy for his love of honor. You see this guy? Sit there, everything is good. And somebody looks at him and says, Hey, mister, you have the time? All of a sudden, instead of remembering the time, he remembers he's a doctor. And it doesn't matter to him, or a rabbi, or any other title, it doesn't matter to him to what the time is anymore. What matters to him now is, wait, wait, did you just call me mister? Do you know that I spent the better better last of the 15 years in school to earn the title doctor and you dare call me mister? Do you know that I've spent the last 25 years studying Torah and I have a keilah and you dare call me mister instead of rabbi? And all of a sudden, his title becomes the most important topic in that restaurant. Why? His honor was hurt. His honor was hurt. Many times, people come to the Bed-Din and they want to divorce Hashem Yishmo. Eight out of ten times, it's an issue of honor. Eight out of ten times. It's not because, oh, he uh, cheated, she cheated. Yeah, that does happen. But nonetheless, many times, is oh, I asked her to cook. I got home. She didn't cook. I warned her. I told her, listen, I'm not going to stay married to you if you don't cook for me. She said, if you don't like it, you if you're hungry, you can order yourself something to eat. As soon as she answered me that way, that's it. Packed my stuff and I left. I want a divorce. You're going to break up a whole marriage just because she answered you in a silly way? You're going to break up a whole marriage? Three kids not going to have a father anymore. Three kids not going to have a mother anymore. They're going to have like friends that they go visit every few weeks. Why? Because she said something smart to you. You said something nasty to her. That's it. Because of that. 
over an omelet. That's what you're going to break up a marriage over. Kavod. People want honor. She's going to talk to me the way that I'm supposed to talk to me. Because I am this and I am that. And he's willing to break up a marriage. Unfortunately, this is not a one-time thing. It's a recurring thing. It's a recurring thing that people are willing to literally break everything, destroy everything, just to preserve their honor. Oh, I can't go anymore. I'm not going. Yeah, but what do you mean you're not going? It's your, it's, it's your sister's wedding. It's your brother's uh, wedding. You have to go. No, I'm not going. No way. Why? Why not? They invited my other sister and they know I don't talk to her. And how could they invite her? But because she's also his sister. Because she's also he's also her brother. What do you mean? They have to invite her. No, it's either me or her. Oh, so if it's not your way, then it's no way. And you're going to not go because they invited somebody you don't like and that they really can't not invite. Of course, sometimes there are certain things where certain things can happen. If it's an enemy or something, sure, and it's not a member of the family. But the reality is you're looking for honor here. You're not looking for what's right and wrong. You know that what you're asking for is not possible, but you're not going to go because they didn't give you the honor. They gave it to somebody else, at least from your perspective. And many times these problems get worse and worse these problems get worse and worse needless to say this is very common in the business world one of the uh, one of the funniest strangest business stories i ever heard in my life was actually uh, about one of the richest men in the world today as far as money is concerned warren buffett warren buffett is known to be as a the most successful investor in in recent history and uh, he made a fortune, not just of money, but also consecutive uh, results in his investments over the last uh, several decades. But interestingly enough, the company that is the umbrella owner of all of his investments is called Berkshire Hathaway. And Berkshire Hathaway is a business that he bought, was the first business that he bought. And if you ask him, what's the worst investment you ever made? It was that first one. That first one that's still around to this day that owns all of the successful investments, but that one, the actual business itself was a complete flop, complete disaster. It just survived long enough for him to do other things that save that and everything else. Why is it such a terrible investment? Simple, he said, I didn't buy it because of a good business. I bought, I bought it because I got disrespected. They disrespected him, and therefore he, he wanted to become an investor in a company. They disrespected him. He ended up buying the entire company and letting go everybody there. So interestingly enough, that in the business world, many times you see very powerful businessmen make really stupid decisions. Why? Because somebody cost them. Somebody disrespected them. And this is something that's very common, very common among people. It's very common among everybody to a certain extent. People love to be respected and hate to be disrespected. The question is, although that's all normal, that's all normal. You like to be respected. You uh, hate to be disrespected. That's normal. What's not normal is how far people are willing to take it. Oh, wait a minute. How could they talk to me that way? How they can pay him that way? How could they can do it that way? I'm here. I'm a veteran. I work harder. I work longer. I'm here for longer. And people have all of these conditions in their head that they assume that everybody else knows. 
They assume that the company knows that they have a longer tenure than the guy that works down the hall from them, and therefore they should get paid more. They assume that the boss knows how hard they really work and how hard it is for them to meet every single deadline. They assume that everybody knows that they had other offers that are better offers and so on. They assume all this, so the second that they don't get what they want, or better yet, somebody else in the company gets what they want, no, I'm disrespected, I'm out of here, I'm done, no talking, no showing up anymore, and they damaged the company that fed them for all of those years. And unfortunately, Rabotai Karim, I've been young, I've been old, and I've seen this way too many times, of how people take certain things too, uh, too personal, and instead of simply trying to clarify something, instead of trying to fix something, what do they do? They spit on you in your face, the hand that fed them, the hand that, that helped them. No, all of that doesn't matter because of that one time they felt disrespected, which really nine out of ten times, it could easily be clarified and it wasn't disrespect, just a misunderstanding. But nonetheless, this is because people yearn for honor yearn for honor to such an extent that they're willing to destroy the whole world over it the whole world over it their marriage over it their relationship with their kids over it their 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 employment over it their friendship over it everything over it why i got this i got disrespected i got disrespected the funniest thing in the world is when you see people that literally you don't even need to look at twice to know that there's not much to respect these people because of their life decisions but what do they demand first respect respect you respect me when you look at me why because you're nine feet tall and you have bigger muscles than me i have to respect you but that's what they demand that's what they demand they demand respect they don't really know what respect actually means but nonetheless they demand it oh why are you talking to me that way why are you disrespecting me or the best yet when you talk to certain people that don't have an extensive vocabulary and you simply speak to them normal english oh why are you using those big words why are you disrespecting me what are you talking about who disrespected you i'm speaking english it's not my fault you didn't get educated you didn't read a book in your life and you don't understand but nonetheless if you say that to them expect the right and possibly left to come at you so you have to figure out how to get out of that hole and dealing with different people will help you learn how different people view respect nonetheless everybody wants to be respected and everybody hates being disrespected it all depends on how far they want to take to take it some people are willing to destroy the whole world over it and literally murder somebody over it and some people are simply going to walk away more people the first rather than the latter unfortunately nonetheless here we have an example from the chazonish he says you have some people that their thing that makes them crazy is food or some type of lust for something physical other people have a lust for honor either way at times you will see that the character trait or the flaw in character trait is on not on equal footing it's not equal where you see on one end this common flaw that people have let's say such as the desire for food this guy doesn't care for food he in fact it seems like he doesn't eat on the other hand when it comes to respect when it comes to generosity when it comes to whatever else that's uh, that's something he is crazy on that thing he's strong there he's the worst person on earth 
doesn't make any sense Chazoni says it actually makes all the sense in the world why the reason for this does not lie in his essence and is not due to his original nature being in favor of only one trait but rather the fact that since this war is extremely difficult complete victory is not guaranteed he says first and foremost you should know the fact that he's strong on one character trait and weak and weaker than most even on another should not uh, uh should not make you believe even for a moment that in his in his essence that who he really is is that he's really really strong on that one and weak on that one no 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 has nothing to do with that has nothing to do with that rather this is a very big war it's very difficult to win to overcome each character trait is very difficult so and he was born with certain things and rather in his lifelong struggle it's not a uh, it's not a, a battle that you win in one week and you fixed all of your uh, uh, desire for lust or, or honor and so on it's a lifelong struggle and this person has not yet reached a high level of achievement all he can do is withstand the easier tests and not the greater ones the tests themselves differ from person to person though the two people might be on the same age and on the same general level one may have a nature tending more towards anger than towards craving for food and therefore his refraining from delicacies precedes him precedes his being able to refrain from anger so he says the following something extraordinary literally going inside your mind and your heart and telling you who you really are the chazoni says that this whole battle of fixing ourselves as we already discussed last week of how it all depends on the willpower of a person where they stand if they decide to simply leave everything as is or fix everything without ever giving up meaning yes I know I'm flawed I know I have an issue but I'm gonna I'm never gonna give up on fixing myself and actually doing something about it not just saying it to yourself actually doing something about it as soon as you catch yourself failing with something you do tshuva you fix it I'm sorry I have to fix it and you never ever give up you never ever give up that's the best character trait the worst character trait is simply giving up on fixing it so here he says this is a lifelong battle and this person here that we're talking about that's strong on one end and weak on another this is not a person that you should think oh he's really strong on one end and weak on another no no this is simply a person that hasn't gotten to any any real achievements in his character development yet at all where he simply is only willing to take on the small tests the small tests anything big he's not going to take he's not going to take so how does that work it's very simple he knows that the uh they're about to uh offer food to offer food everybody he says now nah, you know what give my meal to somebody else somebody's more hungry wow looks like this guy is so generous looks like he's so generous they're giving food out everybody else looks hungry and he's like no no I'm not eating I'm okay okay fine next thing you know they say oh we're gonna give out dessert too no no I'm good give it to somebody else that too you know you don't want dessert nothing something small a little cookie or something no no it's not for me it's not for me not for me okay Oh, we're gonna give we have a choice you get either uh, some uh, tasty soda 
or you get a bottle of water. But everybody gets whichever choice. Nah, it's okay. I'll just take the water. Oh, you don't want a tasty soda? Nothing? You don't like it? No, no, I do like it. Just, I don't want it. Wow, this guy looks like he's got the food thing under control. Doesn't want any food. He gives it to somebody else. He's Mr. Generous. Doesn't want any dessert. Doesn't no sweet tooth. This guy is under control. But the second somebody steps on his shoe, all of a sudden he, he's in their face and he wants to bite them in the face like a pit bull. What happened? What happened? How, how, did, that, how did you go from Mr. Generous, Mr. Nice, Mr. I want to give everything, I don't need anything, to all of a sudden somebody stepped on your shoe and you want to eat their face? How did you go from that nice little guy to a beast? What happened? Very simple. This guy has no desire, was born without really much of a desire to eat. That's it. So he wasn't generous. He wasn't not looking for uh, a, uh, a guy that's not doesn't like uh, uh, sweets. Simple. He's just one of those people where his desire to eat, as far as to chase food and so on, is not necessarily as critical. It's not the top of his list. It's there. But it's more dormant in comparison to when you have the desire to be respected, the desire to have his own space, privacy, and so on and so forth. So when did you see it? You saw it. You didn't see it when he was so generous with the food that he didn't get. Simply, he just didn't want it because he wasn't hungry. He just ate 15 minutes before that. He doesn't tell you that he ate 15 minutes before that. But he's telling, no, no, I don't want it. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Meaning that he's willing to pass this small test because in reality, it's not a big test altogether. He doesn't have a very big desire to begin with. And even more so, him fulfilling this, this act, doing this minor act of, of generosity, makes him look like he really has a strong character trait of generosity. But it's really not true, says the, the uh, Chazonish. He says that the tests themselves are differing from person to person. And even if you're going to have two people that are the same age and on the same level overall, one person is going to be born with certain character traits, a certain nature that tends towards, let's say, anger. Another person is going to be have a nature that tends towards food. And this is where the problems begin. Why? Because on one end, you'll see that the guy that is uh, tends towards the craving of food is never refraining from delicious food but the guy that is a uh that uh, typically much more angry he's refraining from food so it looks like the guy that's angry that's uh, that's angry is a much better person why because you didn't make him angry yet and he's all of a sudden he's generous with his food he doesn't want it. he doesn't go chase the food he, they arrive at the wedding everybody runs to the buffet he just sits in his seat you don't want anything? Yeah, I'm okay. I'll wait for the waiter to come bring me something. So it looks like this guy's under control. In reality, no, he just simply wasn't born with this weakness in the character trait of food because there's more weaknesses in his anger. So the second somebody tells him, listen, I'm sorry, but uh, you're sitting in my seat. Ooh, all of a sudden, the positive trait of not eating goes away. Why? Because now he wants to eat this guy's head. That told him that he's sitting in a seat. Whether he's right or wrong is irrelevant. I'm sitting here became mine according to him. So he says here that 
in a person who tends more towards indulging in delicacies than towards getting angry, refraining from anger will precede refraining from such foods, and so on with other traits. So if you see a guy that is a uh, tends towards being uh, one of these people that eats nonstop, he's constantly looking to fill up his uh, sweet tooth. He's constantly looking to go to the best restaurant because he already has been imagining the steak that the restaurant has since 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, the types of people that put pictures on the internet of the food they ate for lunch and for dinner. Those types of people. They're very, very sick. Why? Because these people are not only seeking the world's attention for something that doesn't really deserve attention, what they ate, where they went to, and so on, but they also planned ahead, meaning their whole... Their whole uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, neurological system is focused instead on instead of doing something actually meaningful their whole brain system the all the neurons are connecting with each other with what they're all drawing a picture of a steak and which restaurant is going to have the best steak for them this is a very sad state of affairs that we're in in the world but nonetheless you have certain people that they have this uh, uh, tendency towards uh, indulging in delicious food and not necessarily getting angry so those types of people you can see somebody step on their foot or tell them to get out of the chair that they're in because they're sitting in somebody's chair and you'll see them acting oh okay no problem sorry it'll seem as if they are very nice people that they got everything put together and so on Chazoni says no no this is a this is uh, not exactly uh, the case it's not exactly the case why because these people, they're, they look like they're strong, but in reality, it's just because their weakness is much greater somewhere else. Their weakness is much greater somewhere else. Now, usually these people are not among those that are struggling to achieve perfection, as they should be, but rather are naturally inclined to be partial, partially good that is convenient for them leaving the rest to human nature, which is like that of a wild beast. He says, so those people that we're describing here that have a uh, tendency to be very angry or very stingy or evil eye or whatever it is, something horrible, but they're not expressing it 24 hours a day. Many times they can mislead others by a, a, uh, um, a stronger trait that they have that's not really stronger, but simply is just less weak. Meaning, they're really weak when it comes to anger or arrogance or whatever it is. But when it comes to, let's say, the lust for food that we keep bringing up, because it's the easiest thing to give an example on, they don't really have much. They don't have much of a lust for food. They're like a regular, decent person. They want to eat so they don't die. That's it. They don't make a big deal out of it. They're not thinking about what they're going to eat for lunch already in breakfast. They're not. So it looks like they got everything under control. The Chazoni says, no, no, no. They're simply people that are viewed as a uh, 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 strong, but in reality, they are, uh, they're not even, uh, they're not uh, what, what you think they are. Uh, they're, uh, they're also not uh, struggling to achieve perfection. You're not gonna, never going to see those people as the tzaddikim or anything. But simply you're going to look at them as these people are regular, normal people. And while the truth is that they are simply doing whatever is good and convenient for them. Whatever is good and convenient for them. Now, 
why did I say that this is this uh, 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 is where the problem begins? Where you have two people, one has a tendency to be angry, but not much of a tendency to let's say chase food, and his fellow could be his coworker, his brother, his his, his student, his whoever it is. He is the exact opposite. He has a no uh, no strong tendency to get uh, to get angry, but food is a psychopath. Psychopath. He uh, food the whole day is about food. What are you going to eat? What are you this? What is that? Why is this a problem? Very very simple. A person cannot, as the Gemara already said, a person does not see the flaw in himself. But it's very easy for a person to spot any deficiency in other people. Even if that deficiency doesn't exist. Meaning, the way that a person judges others is typically based on what they have as a weakness. So when they see that somebody else is let's say, uh, 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 not getting angry over something. And they're typically an angry person. And they would get angry. They would get angry. They see somebody did something that would typically make them angry, but they're not in the position. They're, they're viewing it from the outside. And they see that person not getting angry. They're dumbfounded. What do you mean? Why isn't he getting angry? What's wrong with him? Why is it... What, Oh, he's probably planning something. Oh, he's probably really, really mad. He's just not showing it. And they start conjuring up all types of things in their head to justify why this person is not acting like they would had they been in that decision, had they been in that position. Or better yet, very simple, people accuse other people of doing things that they themselves would do if they were in that position. Many times this is when people are jealous of others that have more success in life and they see that they have a certain position. They say, oh, where did he get that house from? Ah, he's probably stealing. If I worked for that company, I'd probably steal too, but uh, he's not going to tell that to anybody. He just tells about how he thinks the other guy is stealing. And that's what he thinks. And that's what he says. And unfortunately, this is because they think since they are angry, Therefore, everybody else is angry. Since they are jealous, everybody else is jealous. Since they are stingy, everyone else is stingy. And they, in essence, judge everyone as they, in essence, would see themselves behave. So this is problem number one when it comes to people that are not on the path to perfection. They're not on the path to fix themselves. Because if you're not on the path to fix yourself on a regular basis, that means you are on a different path of self-destruction. There's no, there's only two paths. There's no neutral. It's either a person is on a path of self-perfection, serving a Kadosh Baruch Hu, through his Torah, fixing our character traits, fixing our flaws, and committing to doing it endlessly. Or on the other hand, simply content with wherever you are, you're fine, and thereby, little by little, the whole world becomes wrong by default. The whole world is wrong by default. You didn't get paid on time, it must be his fault. You didn't get called on day, it must be his fault. 
you didn't get the attention you're supposed to it must be his fault everything must be his fault it's never your fault that's what in essence happens that's what in essence happens to people that are not really on the path to perfecting themselves because they're too focused on the flaws of others and sometimes they're not even focused on the flaws of others they just simply think that whatever they're doing is perfectly fine so it doesn't necessarily need to be just people that are focused on the flaws of others the worst part is not the flaws of others but rather the the issue of self-perfection and which is you know that's that's false a person thinking that he's perfectly fine doesn't need to fix himself anymore or the worst yet the second issue that the chazonish inside of his words is trying to teach us is a person in essence that just chooses the smaller battles what is that he knows that he is angry he knows that food he has a small desire for not the biggest desire in the world but he has a small desire but anger oh wow don't get me angry don't get me angry so now he sees a situation situation that is uh, available to him situation where somebody is uh cut his cut him on the line and he is really about to get upset why because the food is right there the food is right there he decides you know what let him eat all of a sudden he becomes mr generous all of a sudden he doesn't get mad that somebody cut him on the line to the food you would think oh this guy has worked on his character trait of anger no no no. he's just not his desire for food is not so strong that it's worth the anger you understand he is still angry he's still an angry person but since this is what the anger would have been about something that he's not really so uh, connected to he let it go so it looks like he didn't get angry but in reality it's because he doesn't feel like he lost much he doesn't feel like he lost much on the other hand if it was the opposite then it would be much much worse so that's that's another thing that's another type of problem another issue is when a person sees himself as and right possibly rightly so very good at one thing why he was born a certain way as the chazoni says some people are born this way some people are born that way Akadosh Baruch Hu created two people one guy has a very very big weakness when it comes to anger and he's uh relatively decent and not so weak when it comes to let's say desire for food on the other hand the very same time another person was created he's the exact opposite he's the exact opposite anger no you don't you're not gonna get this guy angry why he's a calm person he has this calm mentality he doesn't really uh let much get to his heart if something is annoying him he just simply walks away you're never gonna see him argue yell scream no he's calm type of person on the other hand food don't mess with my food don't mess with the food or i'm gonna eat you instead he is that type of person okay now as you would have it HaKadosh Baruch created the world and he is also Mezavik Zivugin he's also brings people together not just husband and wife but also people that the partnerships you have in life and business Chavruta learning Torah all of these different things that HaKadosh Baruch puts together so now what does he do 
he has, let's say, uh, a rabbi and a Talmud. Okay? The rabbi, let's say, is the angry one that doesn't care so much about food. And the Talmud is generally not an angry person, relatively calm, but food, he's a psychopath. Okay? So now, this Talmud, he just started doing tshuva, he is uh, uh, started keeping Shabbat. He doesn't want to be considered a Goy anymore. He wants to be a Jew. As the uh, Rav Avadia writes in Chazon uh, Ovadia, in Ilchot Yom Tov, a, uh, a Jew that is desecrating Shabbat by driving on Shabbat is considered 100% an idol worshiper. 100% an idol worshiper. So much so that the uh, Rav Avadia writes in his Chazon Ovadia that if you are cooking on Yom Tov, don't invite the people that are Mechalei Shabbat to your house because you're not allowed to cook for them for Yom Tov. Needless to say, you're not allowed to cook for them for Shabbat. Many people make it a habit to invite a bunch of secular people to their house on Yom Tov and on, on Shabbat. Now, this is a problem. If all the people that you have coming to you are, are Mechalei Shabbat, you have a very serious problem because you're not allowed to cook for them. You're not allowed to cook for them. Now, if you're cooking a lot because you have a lot of people coming and, and most of them are, are, are uh, religious people, and let's say this one guy that's not religious comes also. It's a different story. But nonetheless, because the Jew that's desecrating Shabbat considered 100% a non-Jew, he's considered a, a idol worshiper, now let the cook for him. So now this person heard this. Oh, no, I don't want to be a Mechal Shabbat anymore. Rabbi, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. Next thing you know, he puts on tefillin. Next thing you know, he starts learning. Tu, 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 tu. The guy becomes religious. One year, two years, three years, four years, starts learning the shas. And the rabbi keeps going, doing what he's doing. One day this Talmud comes to the Bet Midrash and he sees the rabbi sitting, as usual, at the table, the shtender, and he has books in front of them. And one of the books is about anger. One of the books is about anger. And it says, remove anger from your heart. This Talmud, he's already three, four years old, meaning religious three, four years old, and he sees the rabbi reading this book, Remove Anger from Your Heart. And he's thinking to himself, hmm, why is the rabbi angry? What does he need to read this book for? He must have a serious problem. I don't have that problem. I don't get angry. Maybe I should get a different rabbi that's not so angry. And he starts judging his rabbi because he figures, wait, if I don't get angry and he does, he's probably not the right fit for me. Probably what happened, he was sent to the world for me to start to do tshuva. He's a good messenger. But I've surpassed him. Why? Because he's an angry little gremlin. And I am not an angry. Ah, calm, collected. The Torah is good to me. Torah is good to me. It's already softened my character. I don't need to deal with this type of stuff. I need to go to a bigger Talmud Chacham. And until I find a bigger Talmud Chacham, I'll be my own rabbi. And that's what happens. And that's how this person that did tshuva brings destruction to his life. How? His arrogance. Is arrogance and simply thinking that everybody's supposed to be like him and everyone is like him. And that's a reality. He doesn't realize, yes, 
you're not angry not because the Torah softened you you're not angry because HaKadosh Baruch Hu simply had mercy on you and he made your weakness somewhere else you're weak when it comes to anger just not the same level as you are weak when it comes to something else and you how do you know it simple 15 minutes later he's wasting seed a half hour later he is uh you know doesn't want to buy his uh, wife anything for her birthday an hour and a half later he curses out his boss for six hours later he uh decides to play video games instead of learning to uh, and so he sees the weakness is expressed elsewhere but instead of looking at his own weakness he saw weakness in someone else and thought it is is, and and turned somebody else's weakness into his own strength which is a disaster and a half so now a person needs to know that not everybody and in fact nobody is going to be exactly like you everyone has different weaknesses and different strengths so when a person sees that someone else is struggling with something it doesn't necessarily by default make them the worst person on earth they're weak in that particular regards and even though you yourself don't know why they got so angry or you don't know why they go crazy over food or you don't know why they do such and such because you don't have that same inclination it doesn't by default make you better because you weren't tested in the same thing had you been tested in the same thing in your in your weakness you would fall too so this is also another reason why a person should never ever judge his fellow unless he put himself in the same shoes and that's what the Gemara says you can't judge your other your fellow unless you put yourself in the same position now of course the average person thinks oh I put myself in the same position and I wouldn't get mad no putting yourself in the same position doesn't mean put yourself literally in the same position when you're not weak in the same thing if let's say for example one guy was caught uh uh, committing adultery okay he committed adultery horrible sin he's going to gain home for it unless he does chuva and if she's pregnant he has a really really serious problem because now he's gonna have a baby that uh that's uh out of wedlock and is surely his existing wife is not going to be happy and if this other girl is married then it's a mamzer he has a tragedy on his hand but you looking at this person that just committed adultery and judging him is not right why because you are in judge the same thing you say wait a minute i would never cheat on my wife you're right you would never cheat on your wife but you may do something else you may cheat on your boss you may cheat on your company you may cheat on your taxes you may cheat on something else perhaps not adultery because your desire in that aspect or your weakness in that aspect is not as weak as his is but your weakness when it comes to let's say money is just as weak so you're judging him that he fell for some beautiful girl and she's not his wife and in your eyes he's the worst person on earth what about when you had that opportunity and five million dollars could have easily gone to your bank account and nobody would have ever known until it was too late and you were in the Bahamas somewhere what did you do then would you fall would you not fall now before the test comes everybody passes no no I would never do it but when push comes to shove and the moment of truth comes that's when you really know who, who you really are 
so the first thing first is when the sages teach us not to judge another person unless you're in their shoes they don't actually mean unless you're literally in their shoes because surely you may not have the same inclination as him you may not have the same inclination but put yourself in the same shoes with that same weakness or strength that you have that's the thing so if he if you're if if he's strong in one thing and he's put up to the test and you're just as strong in one thing and you're put up to the test that's an even test even if one is uh eating and the other one is drinking one is anger and the other one is generosity one it doesn't make a difference the point is is to is, is strength versus strength weakness versus weakness you cannot judge a person based on something that he's weak and you're strong in you have to judge based weakness versus weakness and that's why we really can't judge anybody why because any one of us that really introspects really does some introspection really does some actual review of ourselves truth is we find so many weaknesses we get too embarrassed to judge anybody else you give anyone that actually looks at who they really are i'm not talking about who you really are when you're on stage you got your muscles flexed you're the top of the company you're the best this and your best that and everyone is just can't wait to give you a high five because you're just so good at what you do no i'm talking about weakness i'm talking about when you're miserable i'm talking about when you just screwed up something that unfortunately is repeatedly terrible in your hands everybody else succeeds except you you know how weak you are in that particular case go look at those few things one two three four five six seven eight nine ten things whatever it is each one of us has these things when a person truly looks at those weaknesses he has no guts left to judge anybody else no guts left why if anybody would ever know the weakness that i have oh yo yo how much embarrassment would it bring me needless to say who am i to go judge somebody else when i have so many of my own weaknesses so yes i don't have his weaknesses and i don't have her weaknesses but i have my own weaknesses and what ends up happening is many times a person focuses on what on his strength and their weaknesses and that's what makes a person corrupt that's what makes a person corrupt so a person cannot do that to themselves not only because it's a corrupt personality as far as it's, it's it's a terrible personality to judge others and not yourself but also it's literally corrupting your own time in this world and putting yourself on a path of simply living a lie living a lie that everyone else is in the wrong and you're in the right and it makes a person very detestable so one of the things that happens at times is that you'll see it that same example that i just made where a talmid will see that the rabbi that helped him the rabbi that taught him the rabbi that raised him he is teaching something or learning something that is common flaw in others but not in him and automatically assumes oh if this is not for me then everything else is also not for me and this is one of the things that uh that a person uh, has to run away from why because if who sent you this rabbi to to spark up your neshama surely that rabbi can do a little bit more than that 
Surely that rabbi can do a little bit more than that. You just have to really start evaluating where you stand. I always ask people when they ask me questions, what did your rabbi tell you? And many times I hear the response of either they didn't ask their rabbi or they don't have a rabbi. Both are sad state of affairs. Why? Because if you didn't ask your rabbi, that means that you don't really treat your rabbi as your rabbi. And if you don't have a rabbi, then you don't understand what it means to have a rabbi. And therefore, no answer is really going to satisfy you permanently. There's always going to be an issue. So a person needs to know that the the more arrogant the person is, the less likely they are to succeed in even doing the minimum of minimum requirements. Because the minimum of minimum requirements, as far as our servitude of Hashem, require us to learn from somebody and not just somebody today and somebody else tomorrow and somebody else the next day and like a lot of people they you know they like to shop around they want to hear three four six eight ten speakers you know every day they have a lineup on monday tuesday wednesday they hear this lineup of speakers on tuesday wednesday and thursday they hear this lineup of speakers and this is not good this is not good why number one is different customs there's different strategies there's different ways of doing things and needless to say you also have to have a rabbi that's going to be the main source of your knowledge when you have so many different things playing at you at the same time you're in essence learning a lot about nothing uh and and that's that's what in essence ends up happening you just have a lot of information about very few things very few things that i'm sorry you have a a lot of information about a lot of different things but in in reality you don't know anything with actual real level of expertise so a person needs to know that many times that comes because of their arrogance of when they don't view that anyone is good enough for them furthermore that um when a person is not honest with themselves and they simply think that uh everyone is in essence they're uh, uh in the same uh, has the same thoughts as them the same weaknesses as them they develop a perspective that is wrong by default like their perspective is wrong by default why because their perspective is assuming things that tip are not common okay so they see that let's say for example because they believe that anytime there is a uh let's say traffic that's because there was an accident they assume that the truth is there are traffic for many reasons not just because there's an accident not just because there's an accident they assume anytime there is uh, uh marriage issues that's because of money true there are many marriages that have issues because of money but that's not the only reason sometimes it's adultery sometimes because of children sometimes because of lack of children sometimes because of different they grew differently they 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 uh, grow separately as far as uh, grew apart uh spiritually and so on and so forth but when a person assumes that the world is exactly as they see it they're going to default wrong more times than not and there's a funny joke that uh, I heard from Rabbi Ephraim that teaches a lot of Musar, but nonetheless, it's, it is it is a it is a joke, where this uh, this guy was uh, not exactly uh, very uh, uh, aware of the magnitude of his uh, crimes, 
and was one of these people that simply assumed that the world is exactly as he saw it. And uh, one day, he decided to do a seance to bring his father back and talk to his father. So he did the seance and his father is talking to him. He says, so Abba, what are you doing up there in the morning? So his father asks, uh, answers him, says, oh, every morning I uh, eat a little bit and then I go running. Wow. Nice. Abba, what do you do in the afternoon over there? So his father responds, every afternoon I eat a little bit and then I go running some more. Wow, that's nice. Good for you. What about at night? What do you do at nights over there? His father answers him, every night I eat a little bit and then I go running. He's like, wow, what a life. That's how it is. Everybody over there in Ganeden, in heaven, everybody's there. His father says to him, what heaven? What are you talking about? Because of all of my sins, I got reincarnated as a rabbit in Australia. <laughs> so, so a person, he is delusional. He thinks, oh, surely because it's my father, he's going to heaven. So if he's saying he's eating a little bit, and then, then he's running. Oh, yes, because I, that's what I want to do. That's what I think I want to do. That's his perspective. It's a funny joke you can use in a lot of different aspects, in a lot of different ways, but it has a lot of truth into it. It has a lot of truth into it that we can learn from. A person thinks that just because they have a certain truth, therefore that truth stands for everyone. That truth is the same for everyone. And it's simply not the case. The only truth that's eternal, the only truth that's unchangeable is the Torah itself. But even the Torah itself has 70 different facets that if a person learns and toils over the Torah, they'll see that in order for a person to truly, to truly get to the bottom line truth, it's not the Torah that, that uh, uh, you're learning, but rather the character development. The character development, because a person could literally know a lot of Torah, so much so that he can himself Paskin something and still get it wrong. And there was an example like this. An example like this that happened years ago by one of the Gdoleado, Rabbi Yoshua Falik Akohen. This was mentioned and written in the Sefer by Rabbi Vadya Allah Shalom, Anaf Etz Avot. And he brings under the Mishnah that uh, tells us that uh, uh, talks about how people are supposed to accept judgment upon themselves and so on it's the first chapter of eight mishnah he says that uh, there was one time this gdolador of yeshua falika kohen who wrote sefer meirat enaim and this sefer meirat enaim was a commentary on the shulchan aruch mishpat brought a lot of beautiful insights clarifying the Shulchan Aruch. One time, there was a Din Torah. A Din Torah that uh, Rav Falik had to go to the uh, Bet Din for. And of course, when a Talmit Chacham comes to the Bet Din, he doesn't come like people go to court and uh, they just simply sit there laugh uh, while the camera is uh, pointing at them, waiting for their lawyer to create some type of argument to make them win. No. They come to, to, uh, to Din Torah, 
and they bring all of their proofs not just the evidence but also proofs from the Torah different uh, this is the Allah over here this is the source here this is what I relied on this is it because why if you are going to go so far with this issue to the point where you're gonna go to instead of uh, c- coming to an agreement with the other party you're gonna go to a to a judicial court a Deen Torah that means you have to have something to walk on not uh something to stand on not just your opinion versus his opinion you have something reliable you have to have a certain halacha a certain posek certain something that you're relying on that you're going to bring to the court to show them what justified your decision to say what you're saying up to the point where you arrived here in the court why are you not changeable so you have to come you're coming with some sources and of course if the other party is also a tell me surely they're going to come with their sources also now of course many times people are not telling me and they're coming simply with their stories but uh if someone's a torah scholar it's very common for them to bring their sources with them this is the gemara here this is what i relied on here now and so on so of course when you have the gdolado rabbi yoshua falik a kohen coming to the to the bedin expect a whole realm of sources now in those days didn't have the whatsapps and the facebook's and the social media where everyone knew what everybody looked like so for all intents and, intents and purposes the bed dean had no idea who is in the courtroom they didn't know who he was all they know is they have two jews are fighting a case against each other is a disagreement no problem the mishnah says when you're you're a judge look at these two people as they're both wicked after you finish the case you give them the judgment and they accept the judgment on themselves regardless of which side it went to once they accepted it they're both righteous they're both your brothers again but before that you have to look at them as this as if they're both wicked as if they're both guilty you don't know which one is which this is also the reason why some of the chachamim would not even look at the faces of the people but there's also a masoret that you should look at the faces of the people because there's a lot to learn in regards to whether they're telling the truth or not and so on Needless to say, the story continues with Rav Falik, one of the Gedolei Ador, wrote commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. He is in a Din Torah. He comes to the Din Torah and he gives the judge all of the sources. And to his surprise, the judge reviews the sources. Here's the other side and judges the case against Rav Falik. Rav Falik is, is, I don't understand. How can you judge against me? I brought you clear sources that I'm right. The judge tells him, yes, you're right. You're right that you brought very strong sources that, you're, that your case is right. But what could I do that there is a new Sefer that came out called Sefer Meirat Enayim where the Chacham over there brought all of your sources and disproved all of them when he passed in Allah. So that's what I'm ruling by. Rafali couldn't believe his ears. He says, What? Look how wise the words of the sages are that a person does not see the obligation in himself that I myself forgot what I passed and what I disproved because I was involved in the case because of my own bias how wise are the sages so this is a real life example and of course it's not the only one there are endless others the chachamim bring 
And of course, Rav Ovadia, that sat in a bed dean for many, many years, and had endless cases, and literally an endless Torah, also brings other, other uh, uh, stories in his lectures, in his books, and his enough Etz Avot, also brings another extraordinary story, where the famous yeshivot of Mir and Novardok had a disagreement with each other. So, these two famous yeshivot come to the Bedin of Rabbi Chaim Mivolojin. And they want Rabbi Chaim Mivolojin to judge the case between Yeshivat Mir and Yeshivat Novardok. After Rabbi Chaim Mivolojin hears the case, he makes the uh, judgment against Yeshivat Novardok and for Yeshivat Mir. Of course, the chief rabbi of Novardok that was at the Bedin, Rav David, he was very upset. Very upset that Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin ruled against him. And Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin knew this and wanted to make it up to him in some way to make him understand that it's what he did is 100% the correct thing to do. But you can't talk to somebody when they're upset. You can't reason with them. And also, it's not necessarily something so simple to do. But, as you would have it, some time passed, and Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin ran into Rav David of Novardok, and he told him, listen, Kvod Rav, please, I have so many things going on right now that I can't attend to a certain case where these two people are arguing with each other, and they have an issue, they need a Dayan, would you do me a big chesed and take the case for me? Rav David says, sure, for the Rav, no problem. Thank you for, for thinking of me to give me the case. So, I'll send them to you. So, as you would have it, he sends them those two people, and they have the case, and Rav David takes care of the case and rules accordingly. Some more time passes, and Rabbi Chaimi Volozhin meets up with Rav David again. How are you? How are you? All of the different things. And he says to him, by the way, some time ago when I brought you that case, how did it go? Everything went okay? He just wanted to check on the case if everything went okay. Oh, yes, for the Rav, you have nothing to worry about. I ruled. The, the, the issue was one guy was doing this. The other guy said that. Long story short, I ruled in the favor of that one. Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin said, wow. You ruled the right way. It's very, very good. You ruled according to the Torah. Rav David says, Thank you, Kvod Rav. Appreciate it for the Chizuk. And then Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin takes to himself for a second. He goes, Wait a minute, Rav David. Come to think of it, do you think you can use the same logic that you used to rule in that case for your case that you had, that I was sitting as the Dayan? When you were going against Yeshiva of Mir, Rav David thinks for a moment and says, Ah, wow, Kvod Rav, you're right, you're right, this is, you are 100% right. I'm sorry that I doubted you, I'm sorry that I was upset at you all this time. You, Kvod Rav, ruled righteously. You're right. Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin says to him, Ah, no need for you to apologize. It's okay. Surely the Torah tells us, our Chachamim tell us, 
that a person does not see an obligation himself. You simply, it's inca- a person is incapable of seeing the deficiency in himself when he is in the fire himself. It's impossible for, for some people. It's not uh, such an easy thing. Surely there's uh, no, uh, uh, no worries. Okay, and they parted ways. Sometime later, Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin passed away. And of course, all of the Chachamim came and uh, Rav David among them. And uh, after the uh, funeral, he saw those two guys that he judged the case between them. He says, oh, oh, you were Talmidim of Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin. Yeah, remember me? I was the judge. Sure, sure, Kvod Arav. How are you? How are you? Yeah, Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin was a big Chacham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, he, uh, everything worked out between you guys? Did you guys, did you ever uh, pay each other what you were supposed to pay? So the guy tells them, okay, now that the Rav has passed away, now I can tell you the story. He says, what story? He says, the truth is, we didn't have a case between each other. The truth is, Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin was so pained that you would think that he ruled against the Torah, that it offended you, that he took it upon himself to find a way to make you see the truth without being, uh, without, uh, being uh, so uh, obvious about it. So what did he do? We were Talmidim in his yeshiva. And he trained us how to speak to each other in order to create a fake case. And he sat with us for hours and hours to rehearse the whole case. What is he going to say? What is he going to say? How is he going to say? And eventually to go to you after he tells us it's time to go to you and actually go and do this case. Rav David of Novardok says, Ah, I knew, I knew that Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin was a big chacham, but now I know he was also a big tzaddik too. A big tzaddik too. This Rabotai is literally, uh, the, the, the treasures that you find in the Torah are endless. Are endless. But at the same token, one of the beautiful things about our Torah, it doesn't just talk about fairy tales of success stories. It talks about the flaws in everyone, from the greatest to the worst. And one of the beautiful things that this allows a person to do is not feel alone when you have a flaw yourself, whether that flaw is one thing or another. Because surely other people in the world that got to much higher level of holiness than you did, also had that flaw. And in reality, the only difference between you and them is that simple decision we talked about last week. The decision of whether to let this flaw continue by giving up and deciding, I'm not going to fix it. I was born angry. I was born stingy. I was, I'm so stingy, even compliments I don't give. I'm so uh, uh, arrogant that even uh, to give a uh, uh, clap somebody honor when he's the only one on stage, I don't do. I'm so arrogant and so this that I'm just going to stay that way. That is itself spiritual suicide. The righteous person, on the other hand, what does he do? He says, yes, I have a flaw here. I have a flaw there. I have a flaw a lot of places. My decision is, I'm going to fix it. 
I'm not going to let myself continue this way. The next time I see that I'm angry, next time I see I'm expressing arrogance, next time I see I'm careless, next time I see I'm insensitive, next time I see that I'm, I'm selfish in one way or another, I catch myself, I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to chick, chick, you know, do whatever I can to correct it. Yes, the correction hurts. Sometimes it's self-effacement. Sometimes it is a, uh, it's, it's lowering yourself to levels you never even thought you would be. Sometimes it's this, sometimes that. But guess what? That pain, that pain of tshuva is much better than the pain of suffering in Shemaim. Because the pain of tshuva is the pain of a tikkun. And the pain of a tikkun, for anyone that learned a little bit about tikkunim, that what happens in Shemaim, where the Mekubalim do tikkunim for certain neshamot, those tikkunim hurt like fire on skin. But after that fire, after that fire ends, that klipa, that is in essence the sin, is removed from that soul, and that feels really good. That feels extraordinary relief. So when a person is embarrassed because they stuck to their lies, that pain doesn't go away. It actually just gets worse. But when a person admits guilt as a form of apology, I'm sorry, I failed. It hurts, it burns, but only temporarily. After you finish, it feels good. Why? I did it. I did it. I achieved something. I overcame the test. There's a extraordinary self uh, uh, fulfillment, pleasure there that is impossible to get in anywhere else. So yes, there is pain to do tshuva, but that pain is preceding the pleasure that will eventually come. On the other hand, ignoring that pain will only bring much greater pain that is only going to get greater over time, both in this world and the next. So one way or another, there is pain. But only one of them is a pain that leads to good things. Good things for the person, good things for the world around that person, good things all around. And Baruch Hashem, this is the beauty of tshuva. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure that our sages were not perfect. They all went through a process. They all went through ups. They all went through downs. But the one thing that made each and every single one of them righteous was that they committed to improving themselves, making themselves perfect to the best of their abilities in their servitude of Hashem. So if that meant removing anger from their heart or arrogance or stinginess or whatever other character flaw that they have, whatever other lust that they had, whatever thing that was forbidden that they had, they would remove it as fast as they possibly could. And if they didn't succeed the first time, they would try again and again and again and never give up. And that's why at the end, when people see all of the great sages in their old age, or they see them from the perspective of their books, Rav Hutner Alav Shalom used to say, it's not really the right perspective. You think that that sage that you're looking at was always like that, that he never had any tests, that he was always perfect, that he was always this uh, righteous, and he always knew all this information, and he always was this generous, and he was always this happy. No. He 
is a human being just like you and the difference is he committed to serving Hashem non-stop and eventually that's what happened that means you can do the same thing if you just look at the end result of the these sages you're not going to learn very much because most of the things that they're doing at their peak are not relevant to us we can't do them but you should know that none of them just got there by default none of them got there with no reason even the Chafetz Chaim that was Kodesh Kodeshim that's everybody's grandfather the Chafetz Chaim went through endless difficulties endless tests tests that are impossible for people to even think about one simple thing I can tell you about is that that off the top of my head is a simple test of who to marry who to marry today people ask oh rabbi can you help me with a shiduch I, I need a shiduch I'm already 25 I'm already 35 I'm already 45 what happened to you the last 40 years how come you didn't look for a shiduch all of a sudden you woke up no problem send the resume we'll try to do what we can and what happens is many times literally nine out of ten times whenever HaKadosh Baruch Hu, has mercy on us and gives us a match say oh this person is that age that person is the same age this person is this that person is that it looks like it's a match it's a couple of year difference between the two give or take up or down but nonetheless it looks like a similar match the biggest thing about a match is to make sure there's the right ideology everything else is easier nonetheless you make a match you say okay why don't you think about this one what do you think and what do they say uh, yeah she is uh too old for me too old for you what do you mean she's too old for you but she's, she's she's your age no rabbi she's four years older than me you're making it like she's a grandmother what do you mean you're 35 she's 39 it's the same thing no I don't think so and literally everything else about this person is meaningless why because the number the date of birth says something or the opposite oh rabbi what no it's not a good match for me why not look rabbi he's uh, he's an accountant i'm not interested in accountants what are you interested in Ah, uh, you know something uh maybe uh you know maybe a uh, somebody uh more respectable what's wrong with accountants no no i like accountants just like you know somebody maybe an entrepreneur maybe invented something i like scientists you have scientists what do you think you're doing you're getting a sandwich putting trina on it hummus on it and some maybe some kharif it's a person for heaven's sake what difference does it make what character what career he has no people are picky what about the Chafetz Chaim I'll tell you what the Chafetz Chaim Chafetz Chaim was very dedicated to the Torah already from a young age went to yeshiva learned Torah and the tragedy that happened in his life is that his father died his father died and of course as you would have it a time passed and his uh, mom got remarried to a very righteous person and uh the Chafetz Chaim when he was still a very young man but at a uh, marriageable age you know around 20 years old 19 years old people started sending their offers to marry this extraordinary Chacham everyone already knew this guy is gonna be something special everyone wanted their uh, daughters to marry him because they knew he's going to be the Gdoladol. He already had that reputation that he's something very, very special, and very wealthy people would literally send offers with money that they would give him not only the uh, daughter and everything, but also the life 
that he never has to work a regular job he can learn to offer the rest of his life one time as the offers are coming in the Chafetz Chaim Israel Meir is listening to an argument between his mother and her new husband over what the new husband was a very righteous man once the Chafetz Chaim once Israel Meir her son to marry his daughter he has a daughter of that's a good tzaddikah everything is good and the mom says no why why should my son marry your daughter first of all she's much older than him 10 years older than him or something like that or maybe more you know she's much older than him and on top of it you don't have any money he, he's being offered lots of money he could he could sit learn to learn comfort and so why why should he marry your daughter yeah but she's righteous she's tzaddikah yes but i understand she's tzaddikah and everything is good but my son, i have to worry about my son too Chafetz Chaim heard this went to his mother says ima i want to marry his daughter surprising his mom what you ever see her i don't need to see her. she's righteous she's tznua. she's modest it's perfect i don't care about all this offers that people are giving me as far as money and all that stuff doesn't make a difference to me and the age difference also doesn't make a difference to me why she's tznua, she's modest it's good his mom said to him yeah but you have ima i want to marry her please just don't let it cause a fight between you and your husband why am i gonna marry her well number one she has the character trait that i need she's tznua, she's she's modest she's gonna let me learn torah perfect she's older she's younger money no money that doesn't make a difference but even more than all of this if it's gonna cause you and your new husband not to fight perfect i'm also fulfilling a mitzvah of kibud avayim that's all i need to do in my life and guess what the chafetz chaim had an extraordinary marriage alvayon all of ami said to have such marriage his wife let him learn torah grow in torah brought him kids bracha atzlacha all the things you could possibly imagine why making a decision for the right reason by looking at the perspective of the torah and not the perspective of the yetzerah many times we look at the perspective of the yetzerah the yetzerah that's telling us that we deserve such and such that we need such and such in reality in reality the torah tells us no 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 all of those things you need all of those things you desire they're not good for you there are things that Torah tells you that's what's good for you and sometimes you don't see it but when you trust the Torah and it's sages you guarantee to succeed sometimes it'll go against your logic sometimes it's hard to accept but nonetheless it's proven to succeed time and time again and praiseworthy are the people that follow the way of the Torah Amen for Amen.